1: Episode one hundred and
2: sixty-one: Tips for First-Time Home Buyers.
3: Welcome to the Frugal Friends Podcast, where you'll learn to save money, save money. embrace simplicity, embrace and live a richer life. Live life. Here are your hosts, Jen and Jill.
2: Do, 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 ba da, ba ba. Welcome to the Singing Friends Podcast. My name is Jen.
4: My name is Jill
2: and we have quite the show i hope that you have a long drive or you have buckled up for a really long house clean or whatever give us your time today
4: mm, you won't regret it it is worth every so second. excited for Scott and Mindy to be on. They're from Bigger Pockets. We just wrapped up the interview, which is why we can know that you can be excited about it and that we just covered a lot of really great content. So yeah,
2: if you are looking to buy for the first time, buy a home for the first time, this is great. Even if you own a home and you are looking to buy again, this is really great information and you will get a lot out of it. So before we get into the episode, Let's hear a word from our sponsors.
4: We've got the frugal friends workbook and we're doing a flash sale. It's back. The frugal friends workbook is a digital workbook with six week long challenges that turn improving your finances into kind of like a game. You'll get 60 pages of teaching implementation guidance on topics ranging from decluttering and increasing your income to having healthy conversations about money. I love it because I feel like it's a really phenomenal blend of of Jen and I. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of the personal finance background blended in with some of my counseling and therapy and social work background, So you're getting a good flavor of us. So while it can be completed on your own, it's also created to be gone through in pairs or small groups. So that's why every purchase comes with two downloads. So head to podcastcom slash workbook to learn more. And this week only you can get the workbook for 40% off. So no code needed, just frugal friendspodcast.com podcast.com slash workbook sales going on right now do
2: it yes and this episode is also brought to you by surprise no really surprise is the sponsor of today's episode the surprise that comes with a call from your landlord telling you you have six weeks to get out of his duplex or the surprise that comes with being outbid on every single house you put an offer in on and the surprise that your wife has gone under contract with the house you haven't seen yet surprise It's the spice of life, so they say.
4: Yes. This is such a good sponsor. Mm. Thank you, Surprise. Thank you. We talk a little bit about this in the lightning round today, except you didn't mention in the lightning round that you put an offer in on the house without Travis knowing. You just came home one day and said, we have a house, which I love.
2: I mean, I went under contract. That's a different... That's that's farther. Uh, So... We
4: said, (laughs) that's true, that's true.
2: Um, (laughs) But it all worked out in the end. And that that is a recurring theme that you will get from today's podcast. So first, if you want to queue up a few episodes to play after this, if this one wasn't enough, maybe you want a road trip, definitely head back to episode 67. Episode 67, When Buying a House is the Frugal Move. We have so many episodes. Episode 80. How to get other people to pay your mortgage with Craig Kierlop. That one's about house hacking. And then episode 124 How to save money when buying a house or refinancing. So, 6780, 124, really great ones to queue up to play after this. But mm-hmm. uh, for today, we are talking to people who definitely want to buy a house. And we have, if you are familiar with real estate at all, you may have heard of bigger pockets so we have Scott Trench the CEO of Bigger Pockets and Mindy Jensen his co-host on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. It's one of the top personal finance podcasts consistently in the top 100 on Apple's iTunes. Lots of great information, lots of very wise guests and Gosh, Scott and Mindy themselves have so much wisdom, especially when it comes to real estate. Mindy is an Mm -hmm. accomplished real estate agent. Scott Trench, author of Set for Life, is a seasoned house hacker and real estate investor. It's just there's so much goodness in the hot seat today.
4: Super fun and relatable. I know that you'll get a lot out of this today. So really pleased to offer this to you, Scott and Mindy. Hey, Mindy
2: and Scott. Thanks so much for coming to the Frugal Friends Podcast and sitting down with us. And we have four people. That's this is a full podcast.
4: I'm so excited to be here.
3: That's right. Thank you for having us.
4: <laughs> yes. So many faces on this call, so many voices. It'll be fun for the listeners to get it all straight. I'm glad to have <laughs> yeah. you all.
2: At least they'll be able to tell which one is Scott. That's me. So at
4: yeah. minimum. <laughs>
2: Hopefully.
0: Yes, we've never been mistaken.
2: <laughs> yeah, we get switched all the time. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows which one is Jen or Jill, but we are so excited to talk about home buying, especially, specifically first time home buying. Because I know at Bigger Pockets, they talk a lot about like real estate investing, but you guys over at Bigger Pockets Money are talking about the money and the finances to get you prepared for investing. And a lot of times that comes with. Buying your your own home first, so we're super excited to just like pick your brains. You guys have so much knowledge, and uh, it will anybody listening will be. Really benefited whether you have your own home now or you're looking to buy in the future.
4: Mm-hmm. We want to talk today a bit about first-time home buying. We've done a few episodes on this topic before, and so this is who we want to talk to specifically today. And curious to hear from both you, Mindy, and Scott what what is a good strategy behind purchasing a first home. You should know that it is not
0: a jump right into it with both feet oh, I think I'm going to buy a home today and tomorrow you're signing papers on an offer. You <laughs> yes. need to do some research because this is a multi-hundreds of thousands of dollars decision. And to make that decision because you really love the carpet in this one house or the mantel place in that other house, that's not the best way to make a financial decision that is hundreds of thousands of dollars that can have an impact on your ability to grow your wealth for decades to come you need to do research you need to make a calm decision and you need to know that I mean I'm, I'm and I'm assuming that you have already gone through the is it a better choice to rent or is it a better choice to buy thought so starting from the yes it's a better choice for me to buy my home now is when you start making your start doing your research because not all homes are created equally, not all purchases are created equally, and making the wrong purchase choice can have a lasting impact on your financial future.
3: Yeah. And and I'll add on there, one of the biggest things that come into the buy versus rent decision and the strategy around home buying, which is obviously very heavily interwoven with that, is the closing costs associated with buying property. You have 1% to 2% of the The buy uh, of the closing costs that you pay on the buy side with inspection, appraisal, title, insurance, um, and all that—all the kind of goodies that go along with that—and when you sell the property, you're going to probably pay seven or eight percent of the property's value in closing costs. When you when the seller typically pays both the buyer and the listing agent and that kind of stuff. And so that is the root of the strategy of home buying is. Which, how do I make it less expensive than the renting alternative as quickly as possible? And for that, you have, there's like three exit options that you should think through when you're buying your home, right? And those three exit options, that's what you're going to do with the home when you exit, like at the end state after a certain number of years go by. And... Those three exit options for most people are going to be one of the following three. One, I'm going to uh, live in the property happily ever after. This is what most people overweight when buying a home. They think that this is much more high probability than it actually is. The second is I'm going to rent the property out and place a tenant in there after I move out. And I'm either going going to rent it and I'm either going to cash flow it or I'm going to subsidize my tenant's lifestyle because I'm going to bring in less rent than it costs to maintain the property. And the third option is to sell the property. Ideally, at a gain. And so the strategy comes down boils down to how do I buy a home? and and you're, there's puts and takes in all of this. But how do I buy a home that gives me the most satisfactory blend of all three of those exit options, right? So to buy to, for renting or for buying to be better than renting, I have to generally speaking, live there for a long period of time. But I don't really have to live there. I can just own the property for a long period of time. So again, if I can set up a place that I'll be happy with, that would rent for a positive cash flow, and that I could add a lot of value to very quickly to sell at a profit, that's going to be the best option. Obviously, there's trade-offs and you've got like a, a, a three-pronged Venn diagram, if you will, about all of this to get to that sweet spot. But generally speaking, that's how we can frame the strategy. And just by zooming out and thinking through those three options, I think you can make save yourself tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars over a 10 or 20 year period by thinking through those in a really sophisticated way. By the way, that short term or that rental can be short term or long term, um, by the way. So there's lots of different
2: mm. oh my gosh. avenues we can go down. Yeah. I love how you break down the exit options in your book. It makes it really easy to understand because sometimes we're, when we buy a house, we're just thinking about living in it. We're not thinking about selling it. Uh, We're just thinking about the mantle and, and the carpet and the hardwoods. But when I saw those exit strategies, I was like, yes, that's exactly how you should be thinking
4: when you buy something.
2: And it was so helpful.
4: I too appreciate this conversation, and I'll be honest. I got this question a lot when I first, when my husband and I first purchased our home. So many people were asking us, "So what are you going to do with it? And what's next? And how long will you live there?" And I'm just like, I literally just signed the documents, and you want to talk to me about when am I going to move out and where am I moving to next? I don't have kids, but I imagine it would feel similar to the I just gave birth to a baby, and people ask, like, when are you going to have your second? (laughs) It didn't make any kind of sense to me, but I appreciate the way that you're framing this, Scott, that this is something we need to be thinking about when we purchase of what is the long-term plan. doesn't mean that we have to rush ourselves out of it, but is this going to set me up well to be able to make money off of this, have a return on that investment? Is it a good decision in that regard as well as for the short term?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who buy a house and just think to themselves, oh, when I'm done with it, I'll just rent it out. Well, not every property will rent out for even what you're paying for it, let alone making a profit or you know accounting for these uh, all the numbers that you run when you run a property to see if it's a good rental vacancy. You have to plan that you're going to have some vacancy sometimes. And CapEx or capital expenditures, you have to plan for replacing the roof. Even if it's got a brand new roof, in 10 to 20 years, you're going to need a new one. And that's fifteen dollars or $20,000. If you have a giant pile of Scrooge McDuck cash, then that's great. But if you don't, then you need to start saving for that every month. So when you get the bill for $15,000, it's not a shock. And the same with your furnace, your air conditioning unit, your water heater, your kitchen appliances, updating the house in general. There's a lot of things you have to think about, but you also have to think about those as a homeowner. Mm -hmm. You still have to replace your roof as the homeowner at some point in time. Make sure you have the money for that. Make sure that you're not paying every dime of your paycheck goes to your housing, and then you have no money to save for the roof, the air conditioner, the furnace all of which break at the most inopportune times. The air conditioner only goes out on the hottest day of the year. The furnace only goes out on the coldest day in the last decade. Um, Ask me how I know. I had a party at my house once, and my (laughs) air conditioner went out. And I'm like, it's 95 degrees, and there's 20 people at my house. And it's so hot in here. I'm so embarrassed.
2: (laughs) That is awful. That's every party in Florida, though, so don't feel bad. (laughs) so true. (laughs) I have a, like a personal question, which I think people will find helpful. So we are hoping to rent out our home when we eventually move, but like one of my big concerns is is saving for the next down payment. What is like a, a reasonable down payment that I should be trying to save for the next house I live in?
0: Do you qualify for the VA loan? No. Okay. Um, there is a lesser known plan called the USDA loan. It is a geographic specific loan. It's basically rural loans, but the maps don't get updated super frequently. So the plot of land that's currently a farmhouse and a bunch of just farmland right now in 10 years might get all built up, but the USDA map hasn't been updated yet. So it still qualifies for the USDA loan, which is a 0% down payment loan. The FHA loan can have 3.5 3.5%, as little as 3.5% down, and this is all, of course, assuming that you have good credit. Um, the conventional loan, I think, is as low as 3% or 5% down. If you put down 20%, then you don't pay PMI. But in some cases, paying PMI is a better choice than waiting five more years to save up to 20%, because then you can... You know, you're then you're getting into a home and making the payments. Um, In some cases, PMI is really, really expensive. If this this is usually in the case of you don't have a lot of credit history, you don't have a good credit score, you don't have like you're self-employed. There's a lot of things that make it difficult for you to get a lowered PMI payment. But in some cases, PMI is almost nothing. So Mm. I would say. if you're not looking in a rural or a formerly rural area, then three and a half to five percent is the minimum what you'll need to get into a loan.
2: Okay, so similarly to when like we purchased our first house anywhere, there wouldn't mm-hmm. be like a big difference.
3: Yeah, I, I would say like, like what what down payment should you have? I mean, it's gonna be a function of what is realistic for you to accumulate, right? Like when I bought my first place, it was a $240,000 duplex and I'm making 50 grand a year. So to put down 25% or $60,000 is out of the question. It's just simply not an option. So what from there, what is a responsible position? Like in an ideal world, you might wanna put down 20, 25%, but no, I think, I think a responsible position to buy a home is to put down the down payment Whether that's three and a half percent or five percent, then have money set aside for closing costs. If there are any expected repairs you expect to make right after purchase, closing on the property, to have those in place, maybe that's five thousand, and then to have ten to fifteen thousand dollars on top of that. um, More if you're buying a much more expensive property on a coastal city like in California, um, but but to cover uh, emergency reserves and expenses. So that I think is, is a really responsible position to buy it from, buy a property from, even if that down payment amount is zero.
2: My favorite part about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity when I'm like, wow, I can finally think clearly. How was I functioning in that mess before? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless,
4: when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash frugal for your extended 30 day free trial. Go to monarchmoney dot com slash frugal for an extended 30 day free trial. Okay.
3: With a VA loan.
4: Cool. I'm hearing That's... from both of you so many pieces already and I know we've not even gotten through all of the questions that we hope to ask you both but just some of the logical things that should be considered and thought through and Mindy you said something at the top of the episode that I've kind of latched on to of making a calm decision. I'm curious if you have more to say about that because we're we are talking about a lot of money. We are talking about first time home buying considering a lot of pieces, any tips for people on how to engage in this in a logical manner and be able to kind of move through it calmly? I like what you just
0: said. Logic. This is not the time to be emotional because when you do walk into a house and you fall in love with it, it's perfect. That's not the only house that's going to be perfect for you. And when you get so caught up in, I have to have this, there's fear of missing out. There's like right now the market's super hot. You get caught up in a bidding war. You end up overpaying or over offering for a property just to win. Like there's this competitive thing that I think a lot of buyers are having right now, especially if you've made a couple of offers and lost them. Now you're really tempted to go big. There's another house for you. Don't get so emotionally invested in the property. Yeah, that carpet's really beautiful. Those hardwoods are gorgeous. I was showing houses this weekend. I walked in and this house had Akasha flooring. Oh my God, that's the most beautiful floor on the planet. And it just looked amazing in the house. But the layout was super weird. And as we're walking through the house, I said to my partner, where is the dining room? You can put the dining room table over here, but then you have no living room in this whole house. This is so weird. I could have very easily fallen in love with those floors. I could have let my clients fall in love with those floors, but the layout is still weird and you can always put in those Akasha floors into a house that has good layout. So This goes back to the whole, you know, make a calm decision, make a, do your research first, go into all the open houses and fall in love with every single one of them while you're still figuring out how much you want to spend, what you need, what you want, what's an absolute deal breaker and what's a, just nice to have. And don't, don't fall in love with the house. And I can't, I I have said this like nine times in the last minute, but like, I can't overstress that there is another house. I don't know what the statistics are. What are they, like, 150 million houses in America or something like that, Scott? I'm just making that up. But there's 300 million Americans. So yeah, let's I say think, there's I 150 think it's million. I 125
3: million units of housing stock across the country. Not that I know that off the top of my head from various <laughs> studies. <that we've> <laughs> yeah. 45 million of which are rented residences. 80 million are owner-occupied. Okay. Sorry. Um,
0: <laughs> that is my nerd co-host. <laughs> Welcome to the Frugal Stats podcast. <laughs> So there's, in 150, what did you say, 125 million units of property, you can't find more than one that you like? I mean, that right there is, you know, you can't argue with numbers. That right there is a really great number, Scott. Thank you for doing that research so
4: quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Having it stored away in your card catalog of your mind. Yeah, I think it's unrealistic to think we're going to take all emotion out of it, especially if it's the first home and you're investing a ton of money that you worked really hard to save up. But having this reminder in the back of our heads of if this doesn't work out, there are other options, kind of holding it with an open hand until it finally happens. Uh, knowing that it's possible to get really wrapped up in a home and, and taking steps to protect ourselves in that way, to make an informed, logical decision.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And informed. That's a really great way to phrase it. You need to make an informed decision. Just because you walk into a house that's listed at 325 doesn't mean that that's worth 325. You can list your house at anything. Like I could list your house for you today for $14 million. Is it worth it? I don't know because I've never been inside it, but I'm guessing not. I mean, we have a spiral no staircase to the roof, Mindy. <gasps> yeah. is okay, so $15 close. million. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you get it. But you can <laughs> list a house at anything. It doesn't make it worth that much money. So when you walk in and you fall in love with it and it's 325 but it really should be 275 you get all excited about it. Oh, this is great. No make an informed decision that that goes with, you know, go on to Zillow and Redfin and Trulia and have your real estate agents send you listings and look at everything. Click through all the pictures. Huh, that's listed at 325. Interesting. Then you go to the next one. Oh, that one's also listed at 325, but it is way better. This one is definitely something I would want to see versus that one. This is a better value. Uh, you know, just know what what the market is and be prepared to act quickly when what you want comes up at a decent price. But the only way that you can be prepared to act quickly is when you're doing your research in advance instead of deciding today that you're going to buy and signing a contract tomorrow.
2: That's super wise. I love that. So is there anything else you should do before you download the Zillow app and glue yourself to it indefinitely? (laughs)
3: Yeah, well, I well I think I think it comes down to like like I boil down Mindy and I boil the approach down in like three general buckets, right? One is the strategy, which we just went over of understand your exit options, understand this is probably not gonna be your forever home. If, if it is your forever home, then you know, then you can make decisions accordingly, and then you, you don't have to consider the rent or the the improving the value as, as strongly if you're truly sure. But just make sure you're not overweighting that. Do the rent versus buy analysis. And that's the several hundred thousand dollar decision. The second decision is, am I getting a good deal? Like, am I buying at the right value and, and removing that emotion from the process? And, then, and the third is, you know, am I getting the, the seller to replace the water heater for, you know, out of that? And that, and, and so if you go down these three buckets, you know, the one is several hundred thousand dollars of, uh, in, in terms of its decision-making relevance. The second is 25 to $50,000, getting a good deal versus a bad deal. And the third one is two to $10,000. And everyone overweights, at these in kind of, I think the reverse order, but mm-hmm. moving down into the, getting a good deal phase, um, kind of, you know, M- Mindy hit all of those things, but you know, if you want to boil it down to a practical approach, like what can I actually do to act on this information first, don't you can pull up Zillow or any other listing portal or Redfin or, or ask your agent to, to pull that up, but you look at the sold listings in the last 90 to 180 days. You don't look at the active listings. When you look at the active listings, you're usually looking at one of three types of properties. One, the properties that have just come on the market today and are going to be gone tomorrow because they're good deals. The second is the properties that are way overpriced. And the third is the properties that have something horribly, horribly wrong with them. That's why they're sitting on the market for more than a few weeks in today's market. So if you what happens is you get terrified by looking at the active listings. So don't look at them. Look at the stuff that's actually sold. That is what is trans transacting in your market. And you say, "Great, I'm going to get with my 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 spouse or partner, uh, or if I'm buying a, as a, as a single individual, I'm going to look just make a set of criteria." two paragraphs on a piece of paper. I want a three bed, two bath, 1500 or 2000 square foot home with a yard for the dog, a two car garage. Uh, In this part of the neighborhood, I'm willing to pay a little bit more for this edge of the neighborhood. I'm going to pay a little less for that edge of the neighborhood. I don't want that neighborhood. Here are three areas that, you know, stuff like that. If you can boil it down to two paragraphs, you're probably in pretty good shape. And then you look at the active list or the sold listings and you see what is actually transacted that meet my criteria that is your price range. That gets you out of fantasy land real quick. Um, and it only takes like a few hours to compile this. Buying your first home, by the way, is it's not 200 hours of effort, but it's 25 hours of effort, I think, to do it right, given the magnitude of the decision. So this is a few hours you spend looking for, what do I want? What does that exist? Is it actually selling? And then What you'll find typically is like, hey, I'm going to whittle this down so I get to like 10 properties in the last 180 days or five in the last 90 days that have sold met my criteria. That means one property is coming on the market every 18 days. That means that on average. And so sometimes there's going to be longer or shorter gaps there. So the next thing you have to do is get yourself out of this artificial time constraint that most home buyers have. Or many home home buyers have when they're buying a home. My lease is expiring on June 30th. Therefore, I must buy a property by the by the end of May. Otherwise, my lease will you know I'll I'll be stuck. You know, no, go month to month with your landlord. Pay the extra 150 or 200 bucks a month so you can make a 400,000 dollars decision in a really. Um, you know, by going fishing and waiting for that property that's going to hit every two and a half weeks to come on the market, rather than chasing the one you have to buy at the end of your artificial time constraint. Go live in a short-term rental for a little bit while you make this decision. This is, a, this is a, a tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars stake decision. Don't rush it by an artificial timeline. And then you set up your, you just get your ducks in a row. Make sure you're pre-approved with your lender. Make sure your agent is sending you this is a very easy task for, for any agent to do that. You just ask them to send you an auto email whenever a property that meets your criteria comes on the market. And then boom, one of these days that property is going to come on the market and you're going to be, you're, it's going to come on the market at two 30 in the afternoon on Thursday and you're not leaving work early, but you're canceling your evening plans, going to tour it and submitting an offer. And you're going to lose two, three, four of these things over a few months, but finally you're going to hit your winner on average Within a three to six month timeline, and that's that's kind of a. a I mean, I'm rushing through this, but that would be a framework for potentially making a making that cold blooded, <laughs> um, ruthless <laughs> decision that that removes emotion from the home buying process <laughs> and allows you to compete in this kind of like uh, heavy sellers market.
2: So many knowledge bombs! Like my <laughs> my heart just keeps like racing faster, and it's like it takes. I think that's everything, like if you get nothing else out of the episode, which I know you will, but like that little monologue right there is going to be so valuable because like, hey, it takes out the arbitrary budget that so many homeowners have. It's like, this is, you know, my budget is whatever I get approved for. No, like this is a way to set a realistic budget to get everything you want, but then also like get it at the price that's right. It's just so much. Like, thank you. I like what you just
0: oh, said. Yeah.
3: I I I love going on rants like that. So anytime. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I'm glad you liked it.
0: <laughs> I love what you just said. Oh, my budget is whatever I'm approved for. No, it isn't. Your budget is whatever you want to make your payment at. So you call up your lender and you say, how much am I approved for? And he says, $500,000. And then you run that through the mortgage calculator and you're like, that's going to be a $2,500 a month payment. I only want to make an $1,800 a month payment. Then don't borrow $500,000. And I'm making these numbers up. I don't know what $500,000 is. And rates change all the time anyway. But the if you only want to make an $1,800 a month payment, don't look for houses that will give you more than an $1,800 a month payment. And that's principal, interest, taxes, insurance, All those things combine to make your payment. It's not just principal and interest. Make sure you account for everything because it'll all
4: be due anyway. I also want to highlight the arbitrary timeline piece. I think that's another big one for people of when I need to be in a home buy. And certainly there can be an ideal timeline, but figuring it out to be able to get the best possible home and the best possible price range to be able to make yourself some flexibility. Uh, Even if you are about to give birth or about to be kicked out of your current living situation, Getting creative about what you can do in the meantime, if you haven't found the home and not be pushed or rushed into something that is not right for your budget, not right for your family. Thanks for highlighting that Scott.
3: Yeah. I I think, I I think that's just a huge component of this. That again is, is a sacred cow in the home buying process that needs to be slaughtered. And I think that, (laughs) uh, the, the, you're guaranteeing your agent's income, um, if you're buying on that kind of timeline, Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're putting yourself susceptible to, hey, that one property that came on the market today. That's the one, that, even though it's a bad, it's a, it's a slightly bad deal, maybe, but it's better than what's currently what else is currently on the market. That's how you fall into those traps. Um, if you have that artificial timeline,
2: yeah. And we say that in frugality, like if you if you plan, you save money. If you don't plan, you will pay for it. You will pay for that emergency and that convenience. The best way to save money is to plan and be patient. And then I also love like what's an extra 100 150 dollars a month if you're going month to month in your lease if it's going to save you like tens of thousands of dollars later on in this home buying decision purchase. In frugality, we tend to nickel and dime ourselves to death without realizing the bigger things at stake. And so I think that's another like mindset to get over to save like more significant amounts of money.
4: Speaking of real estate agents, I know we talked about that a little bit already. I know we've recently heard that there's more real estate agents out there than homes for sale, which I can speak to even at least anecdotally. I feel like every other person I'm meeting is a real estate agent. (laughs) What are some of the secrets you guys have or even tips for choosing a good real estate agent when there are so many trying to give you their business cards? Uh, Step one, pick up your phone and call them. If they don't
0: answer and if they don't call you back that same day at the latest, don't do business with them. They don't have any interest in courting your business. How much interest are they going to have keeping you once you are a client? Um, I tell agents all the time, your number one, my number one tip for being a good agent, answer your phone. When people call you, Answer your phone. And obviously, if you're with a client, you know, wait until you're driving to the next property and then call them back. But don't sit there and, oh, I'll call them back next week. I'll call them back, you know, another time. They've already moved on. And if your agent isn't answering their phone right away and isn't responding to you in a timely manner, you should move on. And you should interview multiple agents While you can have success driving by a sign in somebody's yard and calling up that agent to represent you, you're probably not going to find the best agent for you driving by a sign. So call up that person, especially if you see their name all over the city that you're looking in. But also ask your friends, ask your coworkers, ask, um, you know, who did you use? Did you like them? Did you not like them? Just as easily or or just as important is to find somebody that you like is to, like, don't even bother interviewing somebody that your, your friend said, oh, yeah, we used Bob and he was horrible. He never called us back. We almost missed a deadline, like blah, blah, blah. Don't interview Bob. He's not a good agent. He's not an agent. He's not an agent for you. But when you're asking the agent, when you're interviewing the agent, ask them, what is their preferred method of communication? I personally like email and text because it's then it's in writing. Other people like to talk on the phone. Great. If you want to talk on the phone, we can talk on the phone, but I prefer email and text because then I can go back and review what I said, you know, and make sure that I'm not misremembering something. Ask them how much experience they have. If you have a brand new agent, is that the best choice for you when you're a first time home buyer? It could be because maybe they just recently got licensed, but they've been in the business forever because their mom's an agent forever, but it might be a better choice to work with somebody who's been in the age in the market for a while and been in been an agent for a while because then they know more about what to do like you're not learning
2: together
3: well i just want to chime in and say yeah i uh mindy is like i think the real expert on this kind of stuff i just wanted to add that we have like an agent interview questionnaire that's like one of the giveaways with the book. But if you're listening, um, we could just make it available to everyone. If you guys, it's like a three page list of the questions that Mindy has outlined here that we could just make available for anyone listening um, if you'd like it.
2: Yeah, yeah so. that'd be great. Yeah, we can include that in the show notes for sure. Yeah. And other things to ask them is is this your full time job? Maybe you want an agent
0: who is a full time agent or Maybe your full-time agent is so busy they won't have time to talk to you all the time and maybe a part-time agent would be better for you. There's no right answer. It's really a feeling. Do you do you feel like they respect you or do you feel like they're talking down to you all the time? There are agents, hopefully your agent knows more than you do when you're buying a house for the first time, but that doesn't mean that they should you know, make you feel stupid for even asking a question, you should absolutely feel comfortable asking every single question. Because if you've never done it before, you should absolutely ask all the questions. And who cares if the agent thinks you're an idiot for asking the question, get the answers that you need to make an informed decision. It all comes back to that informed decision thing.
4: Mm. So good. Such good opportunities to practice self-advocacy. Yeah. Who cares if it's a dumb question? You're like making one of the biggest decisions of your life. You better understand Mm -hmm. what you're doing. So yeah, someone who's going to answer those questions, not be condescending. I 100% agree.
2: Yeah. And ultimately, like they need you for their paycheck, like, because that's how they get paid. (laughs) So ask the questions.
3: Yeah. I want to just add in on that, that, you know, the thing to understand about how agents should be representing your best interests, and and they do. But they're in, and they should they should be if they're good. But their um their incentives are they get paid the bigger house you buy because uh, usually the commission is tied to a percentage of the home's value, and they get paid sooner the faster you transact. So when you hear what a top agent is, any brokerage's top agent is their best selling agent, the one who does the most volume. Not the one who produces the best outcomes for clients, necessarily. Um, it's the one who processes the most commissions checks the fastest, the biggest commission checks the fastest, right? and And the most of them, right? And so and so that's what a top agent means in your local area, which is not necessarily what you want to represent your interests. So that can that, that, they can certainly be a top agent and represent your your best interests, but just understand that nuance and how they get paid. They are looking for someone who will transact quickly on the largest home at the limits of their purchasing power. Typically, that's the best in a condensed timeline because they know you have to buy uh, because your lease expires on June 30th, right? That makes the agent very, very happy and, and guarantees income for them. I don't think that's necessarily what you want. Um, and you need to understand that's how the incentives are structured and be able to and get yourself into a relationship with the expectations that are going to be on your timeline, buying what you want over those time periods. And there's plenty of agents. There are more agents than listings out there who will be more than happy to take you up on, on your timeline and what you want out there. Um, it is a buyer's market for real estate agents right now.
2: <laughs> that's so good to know because we look at the big, you know, the, big people, I guess, on advertisements and, and stuff and say, oh, they're they're the best. They're selling the most, but they're probably just selling the biggest houses. They're selling so. the
3: biggest houses at the fastest pace. Yeah. Or buying the most the advertising. Most yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: That's Those you. signs
3: really work.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're at the point where we've done the research. We've got the agent. We've got pre-approval from the lender, all this stuff, and we are – we found a house so like what are some things about the actual home buying process that maybe first time home buyers aren't aware of that you think that they should be
0: the actual process i think a lot of people don't realize that it isn't just oh i bought i I put an offer in for three hundred and twenty-five thousand. Therefore I need to get a loan for three hundred and twenty-five thousand, and that's the end. And you have closing costs, which we've mentioned before, two to four percent of the purchase price, depending on, you know, the purchase price and what city you're in. And, you know, there's a variety of things that go into that. But a good ballpark is 2% to 4%. So on 000, two to four percent. So on a hundred thousand dollars, that's two to four thousand dollars. On three hundred thousand dollars, now you're at uh six to twelve thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. Do you have that much money? And that's not your down payment. That's your closing costs. Then you've got down payment on top of that. So it is I don't want to say it's expensive to buy a home, but it definitely costs money to buy a house. So be prepared for that. You need to have a home inspection and you need a good home inspector to walk through the house and tell you the state of the house, not gloss over things so that the deal goes through. I have a really great home inspector. Shout out to Rick. Uh, he comes through and he's actually, he can be pretty abrasive. Ugh! look at this right here. This is, this is horrible. I don't know why they wouldn't have taken care of this. You know, he's, he, but he's telling me, he's like my dad walking through the house and pointing out all the things that aren't great. Now, am I going to ask for repairs from the seller? Maybe, maybe not. In this market right now, you know, in March, April, May of 2021, it's really not, you can ask for all you want, but the seller's going to be like, mm, "No, I've got 57 other offers. I'm not going to give you any repair at all. So do you want the house or not?" But I still need to know about it. I need to know that the furnace is 25 years old. I don't know that by looking at it, and I'm in a lot of houses. I can look at the furnace and it's all shiny and pretty. I'm like, "Oh, that's new." And then Rick comes in. he's like, "This furnace was manufactured in 1987. Oh, that's a little bit older than new. So you know, you can make things look really pretty and they're actually really outdated you can cover up a lot and then your inspector comes in and he's like, oh, do you see how it's like tilting to here? That's going to be an $800 repair. Great. I want to know that. So having a good home inspector is really, really, really valuable. I had a home inspector come through and on one property and tell me that there might be fake stucco or ephos on the front of the property. I go and do some research. That has been shown to cause mold and if it's not installed correctly and mold in such a way that the whole house may have to be torn down because it's so infested, it can't be fixed, kind of like, that's a huge thing. I want to know that. And I don't want to buy that house. So there's a lot of people who will buy a house, you know, as is, does not mean you can't have a home inspection, as is means the seller might not be willing to fix anything or give a price reduction. But if you walk in and you discover that it used to be a meth lab, maybe that's not something you want to live in, you know? So you absolutely need a home inspection. You need an appraisal, and you can't choose your appraiser. And that's kind of a whatever. That's just how it goes. That's, that's the price you're going to pay, and you can't choose them. And they come back with... I could go on a rant. Um, I'm not going to. But some appraisers right now, <laughs> what, the market is. What
3: happens if your appraisal it comes in too low? Like, what's the what's the the outcome there?
0: Well, oh, so that is an interesting scenario. So right now, the market is hot, 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 and prices are just hopping over past sales, and the appraiser can come in. Some appraisers I know like don't want the market to go up so fast, so they're they're looking at recently sold houses that, you know, maybe aren't, maybe they're picking the the lower ones. And I'm not trying to throw appraisers under the bus. The market's insane. But if your appraisal comes in low, you have three options. You can bring cash to closing, which is what the seller would love. You can ask the seller to reduce the price to the appraisal, which the seller will hate. You can cancel the contract. And I mean, you can split the difference too, but that's one of the others. But yeah, the appraisal. Your lender will only lend on the appraisal amount. So you offered three fifty on this house. It only appraised at three twenty five. Your loan is three twenty five minus your closing costs and down payments and all of that. Or I'm sorry, minus your down payment. So now you've got a difference between three twenty five and three fifty. Do you have two twenty five thousand in cash just sitting there waiting to be thrown at a house? Maybe, maybe not. But is that your smartest decision right now? Because you're essentially paying more than the house is worth, and there's this line that oh a house is worth anything whatever people will pay for it but uh, yes and no if everybody is paying 325 and you come in and pay 350 it's still only worth 325
4: I remember that being a nail biting moment for our purchase of our home. It was this is kind of the final piece of the puzzle. Will it be appraised? I remember thinking, why does this happen last? Like, why <laughs> why don't the appraisals happen and then the next things it's like all these hoops have been jumped through and now maybe or maybe not the appraiser's gonna think it's worth what you think it's worth, anyhow. For us, it went through, but yes, that's that was that was an unexpected part of the process for my first time home buying experience. So I'm glad that you mentioned it and are making people aware of of that factor. It's a very real factor. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I, I I just want to chime in that there's a whole bunch of things in, inside of this closing process. Once you offer on the property, there's an earnest money deadline. There's an inspection deadline where you have to complete your inspection by. There's an inspection objection deadline where you review the results of the inspection and decide if you're going to beat the seller up and ask them to pay for the roof replacement or the furnace replacement or not. Um, And that's an art, right? Then there's the appraisal deadline. There's the loan funding. And so there's a timetable on this. The good news is that all of those questions, I think, can be answered. What one, you can just like read up on what that process looks like. Um, So that's where I'll shamelessly promote our third part of our book. You can just, so you can get some of those those ideas. But really, if you just have a good agent, I mean, I told you, like, these are their top agents out there. These are people, one thing that is good about a top agent is they're masters of coordinating that schedule so that there's no disruptions to the commission check, which, which is paid out at the closing <laughs> timeline, right? So agents are heavily incentivized to make sure that these things go smoothly. They should, in most cases, I think, be able to provide you with an inspector with loan referrals with if if in Colorado the inspector says, "Hey, you really should do a sewer scoping and a radon test and that could be completely different depending on where you are. it might be termites in one part of the country or it might be like those old oil uh, furnaces in the northeast that they've got for for the or whatever it is to heat to heat their properties up there right so your your agent should be able to handle most of this stuff if you've done a good job selecting that. But it's your job to just understand that in general, there's going to be a lot of nuance to this closing process. It's going to terrify you. The inspection report, Rick is not coming with a pleasant list of things there. He's telling you about all the things about your new your $400,000 asset or $800,000 asset, whatever it is you're buying, that are wrong with it and that need to be replaced. And they don't tell you like, Oh, this is 2000 or whatever in their official report. So you can, you know, one of Mindy's pro tips is to be there when the inspector is going through it. So you can ask them with that. Sorry. I know that's one of your tips, um, but, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's the, like, just know that that's all going on. And then at the end of the day, if you've made a good choice with your real estate agent, they should be able to professionally and preempt a lot of your questions and walk you through that closing process. If you're being surprised by every part of that closing process, it's a sign that you didn't do your homework in choosing the right agent, I think.
4: Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. We don't have to be experts on all of this, especially if we've got a good agent. But speaking Mm -hmm. of non-terrorizing moments and non-nail-biting moments, it's a moment that I look forward to
2: every week. I feel so good about it. The
1: The Bill of the the Week.
2: All right. Scott and Mindy, every week we invite our listeners or our guests to share with us their favorite bill. And we've actually recently been sharing two bills every week because we've had a backlog. So it just makes sense that we keep going on here. We've got two guests. So Mindy, I know you have a bill. I would love to hear that one first. I
0: have bills of the week. What I have in my hand is a millionaire's scratch pad. If I scroll through the, the bills that are in here, they have a date of either 1976 or 1978. It's too small for me to read. But these are 10 $2 bills stuck together like a notebook style. And it says on the Bank of Leah County in New Mexico, and it is 10 bills, and apparently millionaires use these to write notes on, which is dumb because they're all covered in printing. Uh, But this is, (laughs) this is actually 10 real $2 bills. So I have $20 in my hand in my millionaire scratch pad, and I will send pictures to you so you can put them in the show notes, because this thing's really fun. And I was just, uh, I've been unpacking boxes because we moved two years ago. Um, (laughs) And life. (laughs) And I found like six of these. And I'm, I'm like torn. Do I use these? Because they're $2 bills. They're fun. But also they're laminated and they're like sequential order bills. So it's just kind of cool to have. So I'll probably not spend them. I'll just stick them in my box again.
2: Do you think it could be a play on the words like scratch like money? Like is that a thing? Oh, is I that didn't that even a- think of that. I bet it is. <laughs> it's just really- but it is such an interesting concept. Like it's like a notebook. It yeah. looks like a notebook of money.
4: But it's real money. Yeah. <laughs> it is a notepad of real money. <laughs> the frugal part of me knows that even if I was a millionaire, I would not be writing on money. I'd be saving it, spending Millionaires it wisely. would be the last
2: people, I think, to write on money.
4: <laughs> yes, that's why
2: they're billionaires.
3: That's yeah. a great approach to becoming a millionaire. Start with two million, and then write on one million of these notepads, and you'll soon be a millionaire.
4: So wise, so wise. What about you, Scott? What do you got for us? Uh,
3: mine mine is much more boring. we We just <laughs> discovered recently that um uh, because my wife works from home that her internet is reimbursable. So my favorite bill recently is our internet bill, which will be paid for by her company. So that's great. Mm. Yes. Oh,
4: that's awesome. Can they backtrack for all the months that they didn't reimburse yep. you for internet? Yes, oh, guys.
2: Well done. There we go. that's that's the real bill. Is all that mm-hmm. all that money
4: that's coming back? I'll buy a
3: couple of Mindy's notepads.
4: (laughs) 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 Amazing. Thanks so much, Scott and Mindy, for sharing your bills of the week. If all of you listening want to share your bill of the week, whether it's money that could be written on or an internet bill that got reimbursed or anything else, literally anything else, you know that's true. Visit frugalfriendspodcast.com slash bill. Leave us your bill. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com frugal. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com frugal. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com frugal for an extended 30-day free trial.
5: AI might be the most important new computer technology ever.
4: The lightning pew, pew, round. Pew.
2: Didn't see that one coming either, did you guys? I didn't. No. I the just light. love just, having guests it's, on. We
4: get towards the end of the episode, and I just got to start it's yelling. A okay. It's a
2: free for all. Okay. <laughs> Hit me. Yeah. <laughs> Gets wild. So our lightning round today is where we get
4: real and vulnerable and honest. <laughs> That's Jen's version. She's moving us into authentic vulnerability, and I'm a little bit undecided about it. It's, it's not something that was announced in any of our business meetings.
2: I just announce updates live on air.
4: Tell us about your deepest, darkest <laughs> failures.
2: Go. <laughs> or if you don't want to share that, you could share your memory of your first home, buying your first home, and if you have lovely memory or if it was a nightmare and why. So. Mindy, tell us.
0: My first home home was a condo that I bought because I had taken over a friend's lease. Her lease came up and I moved out. And I said, I am not going to be throwing money away on rent anymore. So I found a condo that I could barely afford because I wasn't making very much money. I didn't do any sort of research into anything. I'm just like, Ooh, it's $50,000. I'm going to buy that. So I did. And I moved in. And then the next month they doubled the HOA fee because they had to have a special assessment to replace all the boilers, which were broken. And they had no money in their reserve fund because they were terrible with money. So for the next four years, I had to pay a double assessment which was not in my original plans. It was like $200 a month. So now I'm paying $400 a month. And when you're making $24,000 a year, an extra $200 a month is actually a, a big chunk of your regular spending. So it was a good experience in that I sold it after I got married for $75,000. And since it was my primary residence for two years, I paid no capital gains taxes. So all of that $25,000 extra went right into my pocket. And I said to myself and my husband, I'm going to do that again. I'm going to take this ugly house and make it beautiful. And let's see what we can get for it. And that started our live-in flipping career. So it was a good experience in that now I'm a real estate investor. If I hadn't bought that first property, I might not have bought any more. And I wouldn't be working at Bigger Pockets today. It was a bad experience because I had to pay $200 a month extra that was not in my
4: budget. And that was a bit of a pinch.
2: Mm.
4: I'm wow. so thrilled for this long-term amazing effect of this, but yeah, that short-term piece. And I think it's just another takeaway for all of us to anticipate the unexpected. Definitely have more money than you think set aside for some of these unanticipated costs. Uh, and But congratulations on making more money than what you bought that for significantly. That's, Thank you. You fill a couple like scratch a pads investment. with that? <laughs> yes. Mm. What about for you Scott?
3: Yeah, my first property was a, a duplex in Northeast Denver. I bought it for 240,000, put $12,000 down, and during the process, um the property was listed through HomePath, which meant that it was a duplex only available to people who were attempting to live in the duplex. So I had very limited competition at the time, and uh, I would say it was terrifying. It was almost all I was like putting all your chips in the table. Um you know, it was one year of my career. So it wasn't that many chips, but it was a lot to me. It was a lifetime of accumulated wealth to me. And um, yeah, the the biggest part of it was the inspection report was again, terrifying, but I had an investor friendly real estate agent and I had an investor friend who walked through the property with me and they were both kind of like, yeah, this, this is a winner. Like you're, you don't have any competition with this. There's some problems that roof is going to cost you, but it's overall still a, a really good deal. And so I ended up buying it. Um, I did have to pay shell out a lot to repair the roof a few years later, but otherwise it's been a really great investment for me.
4: You still have it?
3: Yep. I rented it out while I lived in it and now it's just a, a straight up rental.
4: Nice.
3: Exit That's option number two. Yeah, that they,
4: <laughs> that they required you to live in it. I would imagine that that takes away some of the people who are only interested in it being an investment property. That's that's neat. Yep, that usually before. those are
3: going to be available through foreclosure mm-hmm. and there's fewer foreclosures nowadays because the property values are rising so fast. So it's a little bit rarer right now. That's
4: awesome. Well, well done. Duplex is the dream for sure. Yes. Jill, tell us oh, about yours. So I am currently in my first home and we've not even been here for a year yet. August, we moved in. And You guys, it went as flawlessly as could be expected, given the way that the market has shifted so much in this past year Yeah, and how many people I'm hearing are getting outbid and so many things. We moved from out of state. We moved from outside Philly to St. Petersburg, Florida, and it went so, so well. We had a fantastic real estate agent. It was not on the MLS. It was Only on Zillow. My husband actually found it. The real estate agent hadn't heard of it. We just found it and then connected with the real estate agent to help us out. And it's right next to the water and it is just a magical dreamland. So I'm thrilled with it, although there were a lot more unanticipated costs and fees than I imagined in the home buying process. I know that we've already talked about that, but for us, I don't, I mean, Of course, there's nuances in every situation. I anticipated closing costs being about five or six thousand dollars. I thought that I was being very like conservative or liberal in that estimate. I think we ended up paying closer to seven or eight thousand dollars just in the random fees that happened throughout, not including uh, the down payment. So that was a bummer. Thankfully, we had it, but (laughs) yeah, it was even more (laughs) than what I anticipated. Either way, I'm thrilled to be here. And I think it went fantastic. So yeah, it's a lovely memory for me, Jen.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually, I walked around and saw it for Jill. And
4: Yeah, we I bought it sight her. unseen Um <laughs> just did a yeah. video walkthrough with Jen on the phone showing it to me. I mean, in the inspection period, we could have backed out. We flew down, saw it. <laughs> we, we made an informed decision. But I was Don't just worry, really like, itching to get her down here, so... <laughs>
0: Um, Yeah. So you made an offer sight unseen, but you did see it. I think that's a really-
4: We did sign the contract, but we were able to get out of it within that 10-day inspection period for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah,
0: And during that 10 days, you came down and saw the house. Mm -hmm. Correct. So there are a lot of people who want to buy a house sight unseen and then just- Go and move there, like move in mm-hmm. after they close. And I am going to say that if you cannot afford to fly down to see the house, then you cannot afford to buy that house. You need to walk through it because Jen might think it's a great house and showed you the video and you're like, yeah, that looks pretty cool. But then you get there and you're like, what angle were you holding that camera? This is a horrible house.
4: <laughs> I thought there was another bedroom. <laughs> where yeah. the other bedroom
0: go? <laughs> How do you make that that four square inch bathroom look so big in the pictures? Like there's a lot of of value in walking through a house, especially if you're a first-time homebuyer. Mm-hmm. Um so I am very glad to hear that you walked through the house before you bought it, when you could yes. still get out of it. So yes, I'm when we could still get out of it. I'm an agent and I have a client who's in San Diego. I'm doing the video walkthroughs for him and then once we get a property owner contract, he'll come out and walk through it. And that is perfectly fine.
2: Yeah. It actually was the opposite for us. I walked through it and I was like, this is a dumpster fire.
4: And uh, <laughs> yeah. Jill My and Eric, Eric who, Jen walked through it. She's like, yeah. I don't know, guys. I mean, the, the, the location's awesome. But... <laughs> uh, but
2: they used to, I mean, they used to ho- own a home renovation business. So I'm like, I guess you guys can do something with this. <laughs> 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 that was what it That's what it was like. Um, to be a fly on the wall there. But now it's looking great. They're really doing what I thought that they could do, but I know I could not. So (laughs) it's a little (laughs) oasis.
4: What about for you,
2: Jen? So I had one of those whirlwind home buying experiences, like when your landlord calls you and says, I want to turn my duplex into an Airbnb so you have six weeks to get out. And so, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and that's, that was the start of our home buying journey. And um, it somehow, by the grace of God, all worked out. And we were actually out in like, I think it took, it was less than a month. It, it was less than a month from that call. But we got one. It was We had this arbitrary, like really low budget, and we kept getting outbid. And it was so low because we were paying off our debt. So we had no money saved. Everything was going towards the debt, but we were saving so much that we just stopped putting it towards the debt. And we were like, okay, well now we can just put it towards a home. And so we were we were like three weeks stockpiling cash instead of like the three plus months people normally do it. And um, somehow we found this house. It was not on the MLS. I don't, I guess that's, Maybe common in Florida, but it was flipped. And normally the flips in St. Pete are horrible. They're just they're brown. They're very brown. And <laughs> at least in 2017 they
4: were. I don't know now. But and fast, they look good in pictures, and then you get up close, and it's yeah. like, that cop and job. I, this one was gray.
2: It was light gray, everything. And I was like, gray, I can do. So and it had this, it has this great quartz and so obviously I fell in love with the quartz and I said this is it. It was um, like thirty grand above our arbitrary budget, but now when I look back and I look at real estate in Saint Petersburg, Florida, I'm like, we should have bought three houses at this price. <laughs> this is insane. Like the, you can't get you can't get a two one for this price now.
4: Yeah, it has gone insane in this area. Yeah. But-
2: It's uh, it's insane. You're doing well with it. We were really pleased with our first-time home purchase. It was just so rushed, and I wouldn't recommend anybody do it the way we did it. It was unreal.
4: You didn't listen to Scott's arbitrary timeline thing, Jen.
2: (laughs) I I didn't. I had a hard and fast timeline. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There was no going month to month. We were already month to month, and that's why he was able to say, I'm going to kick you out in six weeks. So, oh, yeah.
3: well, it sounds—it sounds like it was worked out for all of us uh, with this first-time home purchase.
4: I know none yes. of us have a nightmare experience. Wow! Yeah. Well, well done, everyone.
2: Being well, I hope logical, that, yeah, and calm—it gives everybody encouragement who's about to embark on this that yes. it can be done. And now you know more than at least the three of us, Scott knew some stuff going into his first home purchase. But you, you know more than we did. And you can go into your first home purchase a little bit wiser. And if you want to know even more, Scott and Mindy, their book is amazing. So Scott and Mindy, how can people hear more from you and get your book?
3: Yeah, you can uh, find Mindy and I on the Bigger Pockets Money Show podcast, Bigger Pockets Money, anywhere podcasts are hosted. You can also buy the book, First Time Home Buyer, anywhere books are sold, or you can go to biggerpockets.com slash F-T-H-B to buy it uh, from Bigger Pockets and get a couple extra goodies there.
2: Yes. And if you're interested in anything, real estate investing, house hacking, whatever, Bigger Pockets is definitely the place. To go. So, thanks so much for coming on. This was a really, really good chat.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you
3: guys for having us.
2: Whew, that was a lot. And I hope that you were able to maybe pause and write some things down if you were not driving.
4: I've got my own notes. I know that much for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were, while there's also so much just discussion, rich discussion, really amazing tangible tips about exit options and strategy and what we should be looking out for and how we can be prepared. Wish I would have listened to this podcast before I bought a home. I don't know that it would have changed much, but I think it definitely could have set my expectations more realistically.
2: I'm I'm glad I didn't because then I would have been kicking myself. (laughs) Yeah.
4: But you might not have, have put pressure to buy a house in six weeks <laughs> on yourself, but yeah. you know it worked out. And you've got a great home,
2: yeah. And in the end, it does work out if buying a home is something you want to do. And I would strongly encourage you to get Scott and Mindy's new book, First Time Home Buyer, if this is something that you are looking to on the horizon, or get it for somebody else if uh, you know somebody about to buy a house that may not have listened to this podcast. So thank you so much for listening. And also thank you for your kind reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Kind of like this one from ZJ Khaled. Uh, They say, fun, frugal facts. It just happens to be five stars. This podcast showed up on my Discover page two weeks ago, and I'm so glad it did. It has walked me through so many questions and curiosities I have in a fun and casual manner. I'm binging my way through the episodes starting from the most recent to the oldest and haven't found an episode I couldn't relate to. Thank you, ladies, for the research you put into this to help others who are trying to live more affordable lives.
4: Ah, such a great review. I'm so glad you found us. We've been on more than just the Discover page lately on Apple Podcasts. We were on the front page of Apple Podcasts, which for a little bit last month is a big Mm -hmm. deal. So I'm excited about that. So if you recently found us or if you're a longtime person, we just want to thank you so much for tuning in weekly or whenever it is that you tune in and for sharing these episodes on social media. So when you share the latest episode and tag us on Facebook or Instagram. Certainly, it helps other people find us. But for you who do it, we add you to our monthly drawing. For every five tags and reviews we get each month, we give away a copy of the Frugal Friends workbook.
2: Yes. So keep leaving us those reviews on iTunes or Stitcher. Send the screenshot to frugalfriendspodcast at gmail.com before you submit it. And don't forget to tag us on social.
4: See you next week. Bye frugal friends is produced
2: by eric siriani
4: um I've got one minute so this is the lightning round of the lightning rounds what's one thing you wish that you would have known before you bought your house
2: I god a lot of things like I should have I wish I had would have Uh, known I could choose my lender. Mm -hmm. I went with the lender from the broker that was recommended from the realtor, and it was Wells Fargo, and I don't like big banks, and so I wish I would have been prepared to know that I could go to my local credit union to get pre-approved there, that it's just something I could do on my own. Yeah.
4: Jill? Yeah. I mean, it's probably the same thing as what I said earlier in the podcast, just how much money it actually is going to cost beyond a down payment. I mean, we figured it out in the process, and but to have known even more so ahead of time, to have just a better estimate on how much it's going to cost outside of the down payment, I think would have been helpful.
2: One way we did get around that, and in my thirty-second cap, is that we actually negotiated with the seller to cover closing costs, Mm -hmm. and that we would pay um, five grand more for the house. So that was something that we were able to work out.
4: You can put it into the mortgage. Yes, Mm -hmm. that can that can be a workaround. Mm -hmm. So
2: it's not the cheapest option, but and I don't recommend it, but it is an option. That's what we did.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Bye. Right rug flooring.